0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Uh, Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to yet another version of uh, Bill Roden on Sports, a... uh we used to call it the coronavirus version. We thought it was going to be like a special edition, and it is, but it keeps, keeps going on every week. Um, so this is yet another uh, special edition of the coronavirus. I'm here in upstate New York, uh, sequestered away, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, my great co-host and friend, Jamal Murphy, is downstate, holding it down. Jamal, what's going on?
0: What's up, Bill? Yes, uh, we're downstate, still in the house. Uh, still following all the social distancing guidelines, trying to stay healthy, um, as I know all of our listeners are. Um, so, you know, just maintain it until, uh, until things get a little better. And, and of course, we have a, a great guest on today to discuss all this with and give us some pointers for sure about, you know, what we should be doing in these times. Um, we have Dr. Marilyn Frazier. Uh, she is CEO at the Arthur Ashe Institute of Urban Health. Um, she's also a research associate professor in the Department of Medicine at SUNY Downstate Medical Center and the co-director of the Brooklyn Health Disparities Center. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, amidst everything that's going on, thanks so much for having me because it's such important times, too.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. No, Meryl, Thank thanks so much for uh, coming on. Uh, there is so much stuff to uh, to discuss, I'm sure. Jamal I joke, every podcast we do we got to have a physician on because it doesn't even matter what their specialty is they could be like ear, nose and throat they could be podiatry whatever right. you got to have a doctor on just because whatever they say, holds mustard <laughs> but you were the real deal uh, you know, you know. Marla, let me ask you something uh, And like I said, we, were, we had met uh, well, a few times uh, when you were uh, two years old and I was on it <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago, ago. Right. Uh, but but recently, a couple years ago, but one of the consistent things, even before any of this hit, uh, was talking about the access of medical care to the African-American community, to the Black community. How that was, and that was one of Arthur's uh, big concerns, is access to medical care. And of course, in recent weeks, now all of a sudden, everybody is, is reporting, wow, the Black community is hit harder. And we're like,
0: No kidding. Right.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Isn't it something, though, that people are acting as though this is something new? Right. Right? That people are like, oh, you know, after COVID is over, we'll still have disparities. We had them before, and we're still having them. And because of those disparities and those health inequities, this uh, COVID issue becomes even more marked, right, and more enhanced. And so we really need to pay attention to those things. And like you said, Arthur was really, uh, before his time. In, some may say, right, in terms of addressing and recognizing the needs to the need of the community to really uh, access healthcare, and that and things were not equal, and things were inequitable.
1: What are you seeing in Brooklyn? I mean, what are you seeing? You're you're down. What what are you seeing? Uh, Because you're really in the trenches, so to speak. I mean, what what are you seeing uh, from your vantage point?
2: So, you know, Arthur founded the Institute at SUNY Downstate um, Health Sciences University. And we are right in the midst of the community. And a lot of our work has been going out into beauty salons, the barbershops, to train barbers and stylists to talk to their customers about health. Now, at this time, barbershops and salons are closed. Right. And those uh, and and those folks, in terms of the financial aspects of it, that's one thing. But also, when we think about access to where people may get information around this time, those shops are closed down, and and, and people still need need information. Uh, we are in a time where we are uncertain about this um, COVID um, nineteen. Uh, it's new, and, and people are still not sure about where things, what they should be doing. You know, you talk to people about making sure that you have social distancing. Uh, people are asking questions about even inequities in terms of who gets treatment, who gets a ventilator, uh, and, and those questions are coming up. Testing, how do I get tested if I want to, to know whether I have this virus? And there are different guidelines, and folks are looking at, the news and hearing about stars and media people that have been tested and they've ne- they don't necessarily may have uh, symptoms, but they are. And and our folks want to know how come? How can I get that?
1: And what's the answer? I mean, you know, because I've been wondering the same thing, Jamal. I talk about, you know, I'm sitting up. How do how do you get tested if you're just sitting around? You're scared to death or whatever. How do you get tested if you're not been, you know, if you're not, you know? Yeah, right
2: now the- yeah, right now the guidelines, the general guidelines in terms of getting tested, are folks that have symptoms. If you go to the hospital and you have and you cannot breathe, you've been ex- exposed to somebody that that is positive, tested positive for COVID nineteen. Then those are the guidelines right now in terms of getting tested. But someone that doesn't have symptoms but just wants to be tested, you, you're not going to be tested.
0: You know, we we brought this up. You know, first the first thing we did was bring this up about you know the media coverage of of you know all of a sudden you know wow the disparity uh, between you know of the disparity of blacks and and whites in terms of uh, the deaths and 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 contracting COVID nineteen. Um, first, is it is it frustrating to you, or is it encouraging to you that that this media coverage about that?
2: I usually like to be optimistic. I, I usually like to be optimistic, but then I said to someone when I saw a quote about disparities in health and and that, you know, even after we're finished with COVID-19, uh, we'll still have those disparities. And at first it was kind of like, wait a minute, we always knew this was there. How come people are not accepting that? And how come it's become like, Surprise to people, like oh, you know, there are health inequities, and so that was really frustrating to, to think that because we've been doing this work for such a long time, and a lot of people have been on the forefront doing work in terms of health inequities and looking at social determinants of health and all those social issues that impact health. But I think in in terms of it, it the optimistic part of me think of that well, maybe this is an opportunity for us to really put that like really pay attention to those issues that are underlying all of those inequity things that we are experiencing so thinking about housing thinking about immigration issues that we don't want to talk about thinking about racism that we don't want to talk about all of those things that are there that are coming more to the forefront now and, and I think it, for me that part is good that we may have be able to have the conversation and that's a the positive thing but But then thinking about the reality of people dying because of health inequities is um, really distressing.
0: And what what is the reality? Like how is it truly impacting black communities differently?
2: Today, there was this great webinar by uh, Dr. Kamara Jones and she was talking about health inequities. And one of the things that she pointed out, you know, with racism and, and even racism amidst um COVID, uh, the COVID disease, COVID-19. Um, and one of the things that she mentioned was that, for instance, in Chicago, you may have uh, people. 23% Blacks in Chicago, in the population there. And COVID-19 is in 70% of Blacks are affected. So when you think of those disparities, you're like, wait a minute, something has to be done.
0: Right.
2: And that's just, and that's just one community. If you think about Louisiana, you'll probably see the same thing in New Orleans and, and you probably see something similar also in Brooklyn, as well as um, other communities um, where people of color reside.
1: Is, is there the same, you know, one of the things um, that I've been thinking about, and that we've all been thinking about, we talk about inequity. Uh, and I was just wonder, even within our community, in the the, the vast African, I mean, not just African-American, but the Black diaspora, including African, that even with our community, there are haves and have-nots. <laughs> you know, yeah. there are people, I mean, my thing is that if you were telecommuting, you were half. <laughs> if you were right. working remotely, you are a half, okay? We can start there. Then there are levels of have. have, really have, have a lot, and have a whole bunch, you know? Um, yeah. So even within our community, there are levels, you know, and you're a physician, and we all know people. Has, has that? Are there is there a segment of our, of our population that because of economics are kind of not immune but have better access to, you know, medical care, um, you know, just have more access to stuff?
2: Yeah, there are folks that have more access and within our communities, like when we think about, okay, we think of people of color, everyone isn't um, equal in terms of access, right? In, in terms of access to care. And, and there are some people that may be insured compared to people that don't have insurance, right? And so the ones that may be insured may have uh, better access to care compared to those that, that do not. Uh, when you think about those social issues that we talked about with housing, where people live, you know, those things determine a lot. Your zip code, unfortunately, determines a whole lot in terms of uh, your health outcomes. So, yeah, there are things are not equal. Right. And, and and there are things that there are people that may have more within our community and may have better access to care. Nevertheless, although those things may be, sometimes uh, the care that people may receive May not be the same, and 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 the, and the care that people may receive because of those systemic issues. So when we talk about race, uh, racism, and, and so forth, right? Uh, Arthur Ashe founded in the institute because he thought that although he might have had access to care, he might not have had the same access as some other people, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. He, yeah. He knew that growing up in in, uh, in Virginia. I mean, he, huh. he he saw that firsthand growing up in segregated. <laughs> Uh, uh, Richmond, Virginia, that things were not uh, uh, equal. So what advice can you give to to people who are just trying to persevere through this? You're hearing a lot of information. Uh, what are just some basic common sense uh, uh, tips or pieces of advice can you give to folks in the community about, Knock on wood, coming through this.
2: Yes, so well, social distancing helps a lot, and we tell people about you know staying a certain amount of space away from each other, six feet, and being away from each other, and that really helps to to reduce the to reduce the chance of someone spreading um, COVID, and. We also talk about hand washing, which is something that we think about as something that's normal and people should be doing. But, but yeah, we need to wash our hands coming in from outside. Sometimes we just automatically come in and may pick up something, but take the time, wash your hands for, for about 20 seconds with soap and water. Don't touch your face. Surprisingly, that's how the, the, the infection, that's how you could get infected. So keeping away your hands from your face, touching your mouth, your nose all of those kinds of things. Those are some of the things that you want to pay attention to. You want to pay attention to symptoms, to realizing that some people may not show any disease. Some people may, may not um, have that. But if you if you feel though you can't breathe, really go to, that's when you want to go to, to the doctor, or go to the ER, or go to urgent care. You don't want to go to the urgent care or go to the doctor or go to the hospital just for any reason. Because if, if, you, if you think you're oh, maybe coming down with something, but, you, you, but your symptoms could relieve that home, please do that because we don't want you to go out to the hospital where you'll be exposed to people that, that have this, this virus and then you could become infected. So staying home uh, if you if if you have to travel, being careful, being cautious. Now we're talking to people about wearing masks in, in public and making sure that when you cover covering your cough, you know sometimes people cover their cough with their hands. Don't do that. Go uh, cough or sneeze into the, the, your elbow or with a tissue. Throw it out. Those are some of the basic things that you want people to to do.
0: You mentioned, uh, you know, obviously it was talking about social distancing and and things you can do to to help prevent you from getting the virus. But when we talk about uh, communities of color, there are there are issues. There are more issues oh, yeah. involved with that. So it's, it's harder to social distance. If you live in a smaller apartment or you have a bunch of people living in there or you're in close quarters, um, you know, yeah, what what can, what do people in those situations, what can they do?
2: I think wearing um, in close quarters, uh, probably as much as possible, continue to keep uh, great hygiene right. there in, in, in close quarters. I, I was telling someone I grew up in a two-bedroom apartment and I have uh, four siblings. So there were seven people, my parents and, and five of us. And I, I come from an immigrant uh, family and there are times when family come over right (laughs) and you know your aunt or your uncle is staying in the living room there they're they're (laughs) sleeping on the sofa and i don't know how social distancing would have worked there at all right we would have been you know everyone would have probably gotten sick from one person being sick and so it's um keeping the hygiene going and uh make paying attention to if you're sick because you could be people could be together and you could have the virus and and you could minimize the effects of it by uh, maintaining good hygiene seeing um paying attention to symptoms if something gets really bad then you go to the to the hospital but you're right in terms of social distancing it's hard in in some communities and it's hard in, in certain situations
0: and also like one of the th- one of the things that that you you do um with your organization is is make sure that the information gets to people like you said you're you're uh counseling bar bar you know barbers and 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 hairstylists how to communicate uh to their to their uh customers um is there is there like a is there something different about trying to trying to impart information in communities of color like where there might be a lack of trust right you know of what they hear from the government and stuff like that
2: Oh yes, and 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 that's why it's important to find those folks that are trusted members of the community. Everyone goes to the salon pretty much, right? Right. The barbershop, and then, and the interesting thing in our community, sometimes we don't go to well, more so for the barbershops. Men don't necessarily go to barbershops to get their hair cut, right? You know, there are times that they just go and hang out at the barbershop and they talk. And this is a, a, a place for them to convene and have those conversations that they may not have elsewhere. And likewise, in the salon, women are in the salon for a long time and they may get their hair done. But the conversations are are such that people are trusted members. If you trust your stylist, you trust your barber, when your barber leave, leaves and goes somewhere else, you may follow that barber there, likewise with the stylist. So those are the folks that it's easier for you to give them the information to pass on because they're already trusted members of the community and, 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 and the community is more open to getting information from them at times than from others.
1: I went off camera for a minute because I had to go wash my hands.
2: Can you do it for 20 seconds?
1: Well, I did it for as long as it took for me to come back here. I, you know, I did, you know, like it, when I you're a kid. You, I think you, you cheated, Bill. Off the ground and you had like the five second rule. It was only on the front of five seconds. You ate it. How long can I, how long? How many times can I use my uh, my mask? I mean, I know, you know, I'm not fortunate enough. A to a hard
2: question. You know what? Uh, maybe maybe about two or three times. It that's a hard question because when we were in in school, we would just use a mask and then when you were in medical school, when you're in training, you just throw it, toss it out. And now it's like, okay, you need to save these things because they've become this really prime, you know, commodity kind of like real estate stuff. And and it's and it's a hard question in terms of like how long should you use it without because you're not in a situation where they are trying to autoclave it and clean it for you. You, This is your, your regular mask. And I I don't know, maybe about a couple of times, like two or three times.
0: Can you clean uh, it? Can you clean those don't type know. of...
2: I I can't even say how long I should tell you to use that.
0: Can you can clean we, those type we, of masks? Can we, buy some,
1: can we buy some from you, Mara? Oh, you can't say that. <laughs> can, we, can you give us a hookup, sister? I
2: do not have.
1: Huh? Did... <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it you off- You can off. make your own. Really, Mara? I
2: did. Seriously,
1: I did. I, I like you said. So you can make you your own bulletproof vest. You saw the
2: Surgeon General making one.
1: Yes, I saw Well, that. He's the Surgeon General. <laughs> he was showing you
2: how, how to you, make
1: them. How do you make? Okay, give us a quick primer. How do you make? <laughs> how do you make a a an effective
0: <laughs> mask? It involves scissors it, and uh, he, stuff. No, we don't want to get involved.
2: Take a piece, a piece of uh, cloth that that you have and you fold it over. Yeah. And, and then you put some, you put two rubber bands. It's easy. It's not that hard.
1: That's, you know what, that's what they used to tell us.
2: You can a cloth, fold okay. it over, put it here, fold it over again. Yeah. You put two rubber bands to the side and you kind of, well, you put this like this. Put two rubber bands and then you make it. It's not that hard to make one. Or you could take a scarf or a bandana technically and put it around.
1: We don't want to get kicked out the store like those other two brothers. You know, They, they came in, they had bandanas, and they, well, yeah. they kicked them
2: out well, I don't want you to go out like that.
0: Once again, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 180,000 book titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. For you, the listeners of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service, we highly recommend that you check out the classic 40 Million Dollar Slaves, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of the Black Athlete by the one and only William C. Roden. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on Sports. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on Sports for your free audiobook.
1: When I was a kid growing up in Chicago in the 50s, the big thing there was there was going to be a nuclear war you know and that was a big thing and they told you I remember my father said okay now here's what you have to do now come here everybody all right now grab your grab your knees now bend your knees bend down and then kiss your ass goodbye <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: what he said
0: oh man we need a, we need a positive oh, message here goodness. bill positive <laughs> me- messages
1: yeah but anyway get it, get it back on. get it back on track um you know, the other thing too. First of all, a little bit about yourself. Um, when you went into uh, just tell me about your medical career because, to me, being a, a a doctor is probably one of the most noblest professions that one could really enter into because you really do save people's lives. Why did you get into the profession and sort of what was been your journey?
2: So my journey is so different than other people's journey. So I went, went, went into medical school. I thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And I wanted, and because it came easy, really, in medical school, thinking about, you know, talking to people. When I did my psych rotation and met patients, that was a totally different thing that I was... That was totally different. And I thought, oh, I could not do this. And I, and I felt as though... There were certain parts I wanted to go into. I love surgery, uh, but I didn't like the the lifestyle of a surgeon myself. And when I was finished with medical school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I really didn't. And I remember one of my preceptors said that, there is an option of going to the Arthur Ashe Institute. Uh, they're doing some work around breast cancer work, and, and then there's, there's they're doing some breast cancer work. And then someone else was doing work around cardiovascular disease and hypertension. And I was really in, I'm always interested about heart disease and hypertension, so I went to the institute because they had the funding to do that work they, the people that were doing the work around hypertension and so on didn't have any projects they were doing right then and there and, I, and the, the institute they, they just had received a grant to do breast cancer work in in beauty salons the trained stylists to talk to their their customers about breast cancer and since i had a medical background i helped in terms of the curriculum and talking about the health messages And I realized that that's what I really love doing. I love going out and talking to people about health, trying to have people learn about how they can take better control of their health. And and so that's where I stayed. And then now I'm where I am with this. So I I don't see patients, but I I go out and talk a lot when I have the opportunity to, to talk to people about, about their health and health care.
1: But I mean, when you were five years old, did you want to be a doctor? Was that like your burning thing on your five, six, seven years old, eight, did. did you want to be a doctor?
2: I wanted to be a doctor. I like, I wanted to be a doctor. I like doing things with my hands and, and those kinds of stuff. Uh, when I was in college, I loved chemistry because it felt as though I was cooking. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I love trying to figure out what the unknowns were. So I majored in chemistry and, but I really liked that kind of science and, and I'm, I'm inquisitive and analytical. Yeah, those kinds of things. But I really like teaching, too. I like teaching and talking to patients.
1: Where did you, you go to college and med school?
2: I went to medical school in St. Lucia. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was, it was... And that was, like, one of the best experiences because I got a chance to see things in a different community and, and different way and, and understand how people... Interact sometimes outside of the, the US. And I did some of my training also in Mexico. And so I had, a, I had exposure to a different type of healthcare system. And, and I, I realized there, there are a lot of things that are good and bad about both uh, systems, that sometimes we take things for granted here more so that when you think about the opportunities that may be available. And also uh, thinking about just healthcare being more of a right in some places, right? You know, everybody has healthcare. And and yeah, so those that's my upbringing in that when
0: I was five. Oh, when you're five, <laughs> how, how how do you feel about you know the discrepancies in terms of uh, you know different healthcare systems? I mean, when you look at this country, and now like you meant, like you brought up before, like you know masks and uh, you know all the PPE material is is in yeah. high demand. You would think you know this is the United States of America. We're supposed to be the richest country in the world. You know we're we're struggling and we can't get ventilators and all this stuff does that does this make sense to you
2: it doesn't make sense right because you think even but then it doesn't make sense that people should go hungry in the united states either right Right. it doesn't that you know there are people that are homeless and right. you have people that have mansions and, and people that live in places that you know by themselves and, and you have people that are homeless it does make sense that people are hungry when we throw away so much food right. and and something like ventilators and you're asking you know how could you not have those right how could you not have uh, things to protect the people that are going to do the work and, and so it doesn't make sense. So why wouldn't we even, you know, share things? And so make sure that those that have a surplus gives to those that, that may be in lack. You know, those kinds of things um, don't really make sense. And and I think a part of it is that we just weren't prepared. Right. We didn't take it seriously, and 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 we kind of uh, try to play catch up at this time. And 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 that and that's a hard thing.
1: Right. So how do you think we're gonna come out of? it? I mean. It's you know we keep saying how do you think we're going to come out of this like there's a finite ending you know and then there's the beginning but how do you think this is going to change uh, our different communities our interaction with each other and then how do you think do you think there may be a positive outcome for the healthcare industry?
2: So different. I'll take the positive outcome one first. I think. Uh, I think for the healthcare industry, I think just being more prepared, uh even thinking about how manufacturing is done in this country, like you know we we don't have masks because we don't may not make as much or we may depend on another country to do those kinds of things. So even thinking about just uh, being more prepared. Uh, also, even thinking about training that we get as, as doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals, thinking about what really is needed for the, that, those training um, sessions, because now we have students that may not be able to have... Uh, those clinical experiences, but then they still have to go through to graduate and and so forth. So even um, thinking about what what is needed in our professional lives, even. So uh, thinking about what other health professions may be needed or what what things we need to pay more attention to, where we need to put funding into, I think that that's going to change. Uh, The change in terms of the distance learning that we have all... Been a part of uh, thinking about people working from home as opposed to working, being in an office, right. using space in an office. All of those things I think um, makes us uh, it provides opportunities, I should say, for us to think outside of the box. So that's that's something that's that, that will change. It will be interesting to see once they. The curve is flattened or once um, actually the curve goes down and we, uh, we, re- we realize that this part of it is over, how we will react to each other, you know, going outside and, and being close to someone, everyone, every time somebody sneezes or every time somebody coughs and, and, and what are we going to do? Are we going to be like the cage bird that the door is open and we don't go outside because we are scared of right. what's, what's out there or we are so used to being in here. Um, I think even thinking about on, on the social side of it, even thinking about prisons, right, and prison reforms and so on. What are we going to do yes. with that, right? Because there, you know, you have people that are locked up, and this virus is spreading, and, right. and even conditions were bad before, and it even makes you think about how bad those conditions are, right, currently. And what are we going to do as a country to make that different?
1: Wow, that's that that that's a that that's a lot. How, are we going to trust each other, you know, before, you know, yeah, yeah, we're going to March 10th. You know, I use March 11th and and sort of the sports calendar because March 11th was when the two NBA players tested positive for coronavirus, And after that, that's when everything got shut down, you know, so I use March 11th. I was thinking March 9th, we were crowded arenas. We were in long lines. We were cheering, hugging each other, bumping five, everything. March 12th, we're like you know i i'm walking around so you you bring up a good point you know i mean are we going to ever really fully trust each yeah. other again i mean you know, soon
2: yeah it'll take a while and and hopefully we are prepared because uh it's been predicted that we may have another wave of this right towards the end of the year and hopefully we are prepared
0: well mm. well speaking of that uh we you know we have a president out here talking about opening the country up whatever that means um you know what, yeah. what? What's your take on in, in terms of when people are you know start going outside again? You know this is a sports show. Can you imagine um, bass people going to basketball games or baseball games anytime soon, or even anytime this year? Even can you see mm-hmm. that?
2: I don't see that because, like you know, like you said about the trust issue. Even going outside, just even thinking about going outside to, with people you know, going to church with people you know, or going to a place with people you know, uh, that's going to be difficult. And and then thinking about opening up the country, I, I think that will take little steps at a time, and and it would and it will, and people will have to feel safe again, right? And people will have to feel that. Whoever is giving that message about opening it up is trusted, right? And they right. know what they're talking about. So that's something else too, that people have to feel as, have, as though they have confidence in the messenger in order to go out and interact the same way that they have been in the past.
1: Yeah. And there are going to be certain people, uh, a part of my family uh, call that is going on now. We're having this discussion and most people, I don't know, I'm not going out. A couple of people, yeah, I'll go. There's a game, I'm going. There's a concert, I'm going. Because people are just so eager to just get out of this. So I imagine if it comes down from the wild, wherever that shakes out, and they say, open it, you're right. Some people will really say, I'm not going out. And other people say, I'll be right there. <laughs> right. So you're kind of in the same bind again, you know, if, if people are, if there's not a mechanism right, to yeah. get tested at and at like, you know, I mean, think about, it. you know, Jamal, we spend a lot of our time going to stadiums and who would have thought before 9-11 that we would sub- subject ourselves to long lines going into the airport, you know, being yeah. checked, long lines going into stadiums, you know, with bag checks. We would, we never had to do that before. So now maybe there's another thing before you go to a restaurant, maybe you get your temperature taken or maybe, before, you know, there's a whole another level to make sure, like, you're okay. Right.
2: Exactly. I heard in some countries they do the t- thermometers when you're coming in to take take your temperature and stuff. Yeah.
1: And how th- long is that going to take? And then, of course, people have their fake thermometers, you know. try to beat the ones, system.
2: Bill, they just. <laughs> <laughs> Trying
1: to beat the, <laughs> the <latest laughs> system. They're going to say, wait a minute. Since black people test higher, so you're automatically gonna be suspect. <laughs> okay, all the black people over here. You know, we're not doing it because it's black and white, but you know that's what the stats say that you guys are. At a, I don't, I don't, yeah. Oh I my goodness! Hopefully, <laughs> no,
2: hopefully not. Well. Another uh, profiling issue. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's, uh, anyway. Uh, any any uh, before we let you go, Marilyn. Again, our, our guest has been uh, the wonderful Dr. Marilyn Frazier. She's the CEO at the Arthur Ashe Institute for Urban Health, one of the great, uh, and as you mentioned, forward-thinking uh, institutes in the country and founded by uh, the great uh, Arthur Ashe, who saw this kind of coming a long time ago that the, the, the underserved communities access to medical care is one of the great uh, Achilles heels of this country. Um, so thank you very much, Marilyn. Oh, I did have something to ask you then. <laughs> Uh, you know, medical, that's where we, where we really got you on so we could ask like medical opinions and stuff. But, but when, when people, are, you know, so I drove, I drove across country a couple of weeks ago from uh, Arizona to New York because uh, I'd been flying and I finally got to the point where I was trying to play Russian roulette. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna get in a car, rent a car, wipe it all down, you know, but at least for 2,500 miles, I'll be the only one in that car no airports, no changing planes. I'll be the only one here, you know. Uh, and so, what's your thing? So I've got a, a, a office studio in Manhattan. It's in a church that's been deserted for like a month, a little more than a month. Nobody's been there. So I figured, well, it's probably safe for me if I could go from where I am up here, in my car, isolated, go right to the church, which is deserted, you know, have my wipe down the lot, get in. Is that safe? I mean, or, or is this, once you go to Manhattan, is it like COVID germs just kind of hovering around and just as soon as you go over the George Washington Bridge, they're just there.
2: Just open the door and that's it out there. No, it be, it's safe. I think uh, even just as you, as now we're we talking to people about wearing masks more so and, and going out into public, um, yeah, to go into place that's isolated, no one is there, it's been cleaned up and so on, but that's safe. A lot of people are running away to different places too. Uh, right, just, I know. Yeah.
1: And bringing a disease so, with them. Being
0: it.
2: away from people that are spreading, right? We're Being away from, from people that may be giving off those germs in a sense. What
0: mm-hmm. about, we're talking about maybe getting people back out Uh, back to work and all that. Don't we need testing for that? Along with all the masks uh, that we need and ventilators, like tests. We don't have enough tests. Do you see us getting that accomplished to the point where we can actually start to feel safe anytime soon?
2: I think we're probably headed in that direction. We are not there right now. Uh, and, And it would be wonderful if we can really test everyone, right? If we can really test everyone and know, okay, who has this and how could people protect themselves as opposed to just testing people that are sick. And when when we know right now the way that this virus operates, that there's some people that may not show symptoms, but then they're positive, right? And so it would be great for us to get to that place. I think we are trying to get there in terms of getting more tests available, even having different types of tests available. I've seen certain things um, that, that in some countries they're trying to have, you know, home testing even developed. And, it, and and we are trying to get to that place, but we're not there right now. Well,
0: what do you what do you think? I mean, I think what is the number now? I think it's like six hundred. Was it six hundred thousand, or were we close to a million people uh, infected yet of known in, infections? Um, I can't remember what the number in, is now in, uh, new,
2: in the U.S. In the
0: U.S. Like what
2: so I, Yeah, we're in a million. We, I think the last time I, I saw it was about six hundred.
0: Right. So six hundred thousand. What do you think the real number yeah. is?
2: Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's that. Yes, that 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 is that that's that's a hard question. We know that it's more than that, right? <laughs> right? We know that we know that it's more than that. We one of the things that's interesting too is that people that might have had thought that they had the flu earlier in the year, or people might that thought that they might have had some pneumonia or something, or people that might have been diagnosed with pneumonia earlier in the year that might have had this virus even as early as last year. Sometime. So I know that we know that the number is higher. I don't know how much higher because we haven't, like you said, you asked, you know, we haven't, we, we haven't tested, you know, how many people have we tested. And so, yeah, it could be much more than that. And, uh, but we haven't tested folks. And we're just hoping that we could reduce that by, by reduced, by doing certain precautionary measures with social distancing and, and the hand washing and those public health uh Precautions.
1: How do you have family still in Saint Lucia? How are they doing? How how is Saint well, Lucia doing?
2: I have a lot of friends in Saint Lucia. So my, my family my family is from Guyana, and uh, I and I have a lot of, of um, friends in Saint Lucia. Saint Lucia is actually one of the ones that doesn't have as many cases. Uh, Guyana had one case that came over from from queens went over from queens to guyana and that's how it started and then you had now they're up to and it's a small population they are up to like 40 something people and it's they have a small population there but and the west indies you have a lot of people because of the travel from the u.s or travel from england and those kinds of stuff you start start seeing more cases in the in the west indies and the caribbean those countries don't have the resources either right
1: right yeah it's just you know Oh, that's another podcast. Stay where you are, you know. Right. Yeah. I
2: know this is interesting too, because those countries close their borders, right? So they're they kind of like, okay, you know, you're not allowed to come into my country now from the US or come in. I know.
1: I know the, the Caribbean should they, they should have been been building a wall, you know, a long time <laughs> interesting, ago.
2: Right? They <laughs> probably want to build a wall. If they could, they probably would build a wall right, right. now.
0: And have the US pay for it. That's right.
1: <laughs> that's right.
0: Keep stay the hell out. A
1: hey, uh, guest is uh, Dr. Marilyn Frazier. Marilyn, thank you so much. This has been really uh, re- reassuring. I mean, I guess we're all looking for something reassuring. You know, just can you tell us something that's reassuring, you know? Uh, it
2: is going to be, we'll get through this and then we, but, and we still have to deal with the other issues that are at hand.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Not Not what my father told me. He's like,
0: <laughs> kiss <laughs> your all, butt goodbye. We're all, all, all going to
2: die. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. all going to,
1: yeah. Yeah. Hey, but Marilyn. thank you so much. Hope you and your family are staying uh, uh, really safe and look forward to having you on again so we can talk about, you know, uh, post-corona. Right. And well,
2: that would be wonderful after this, yes.
1: Absolutely. But, but thank you so much.
2: No, thank you all. Take care.
1: You too. Okay, take care of yourself. bye
2: right, bye-bye. You. bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Well, Jamal, I don't know, man. I mean, that's kind of reassuring. I mean, she had a very reassuring tone to her, and gives you some degree of hope, right?
0: More, you know, we more information than we get from the president, uh, you know, by far, obviously. So, you know, I mean, you're probably better off listening to this podcast than than uh, than the than the everyday press conferences.
1: Hey, listen, man. um, You know, look for you. You know, you and your family continue to stay safe, and. You know, we'll look forward to getting some, uh, getting another relevant guest next week. Yes. Um, But meanwhile, everybody out there, stay safe. Uh, Find some different ways to continue to have a healthy, positive state of mind, you know, and uh, eat well. Come up with some good dishes. Don't drink too much, but we understand you've got to drink something. Right. So, uh, Jamal, you take care, man, and we'll see you uh, guys next week
0: question. You too. Take care, Bill.
1: All right, buddy. God bless.